Welcome back to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. You have a great episode today. Today we are talking to Lisa Dewey. Yes, the one and only Lisa Dewey. She is a musician who is currently here in San Jose, California. She is well known throughout the, the 90s and the 80s and 2000s until now. She is a very prominent figure in the music scene here in San Jose. And because uh, everybody knows about her, you know, everybody, anybody who talks about the history of San Jose and where the music in San Jose relies, that a lot of people reminisce about the good old days, you know, the days where I was just, you know, a kid, uh, which is the late 80s, early 90s uh, of the music scene here in San Jose. And, and one name that keeps popping up is Lisa Dewey. So I was like, oh, it'll be great to have her here on this podcast. And sure enough, it happened. She came, we had a great talk, she's an awesome person. She came with her girlfriend, Francesca, uh, she, who's equally as awesome. And I think uh, I think for musicians and for non-musicians, I think there's a lot of insightful things that we talked about and uh, subjects that were covered regarding uh, just how the process of music and, and how much uh, creative you can get with it. So again, stay tuned. For the conversation that's going to come real soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the JMS Podcast on Facebook, also on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, you can also uh, check us out on iTunes if you're listening from iTunes already or if you're listening on Stitcher Radio. Why it, it took so long to name those things? Because I was having a brain fart right now. been having quite a bit of those lately. I just have so many things going on at once. I'm like, oh my God, what am I talking about now? What's going on this? I got to do that. But it's all in good fun. Staying busy, that's very important. That's why I've been told. Stay busy. You won't lose your mind. Your mind will never be lost if you stay busy. Uh, what was I talking about? Yes. So let's. Uh, before we get there, uh, I want to say thank you to everybody that was involved at the JMS Podcast Poetry event that happened in Campbell. Uh, Barbara Rocks, she opened up her house for it, and it was a beautiful house. It was a great venue. The poets did amazing. Uh, thank you to everybody who who attended. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I I especially had a lot of fun moderating the conversations, the Q and A that was after the performance, and I learned so much uh, about them, even more. Although I spent an hour with them talking, and uh, I think we had a, a good time. Uh, the hardest one by far was Roberto uh, Tinoco Duran. He, he, he gave me a bit of a hard time on stage, but it was all in good fun. And I have to, again, I have to say special thank you to Donna Steelman. Donna Steelman, uh, she helped me put together this event, and she did an amazing job. And I, I just got to put it out there that Donna Steelman, she is the woman. She is awesome. I'm looking forward to work with her again. Because uh, I told her that I want to start a event program for the podcast. So this was a great uh, test. I think it went well. And now we're like, all right, let's see how many events we can produce throughout the year that's related to the podcast. And definitely uh, engage with the community. So not only do you listen to these uh, great guests that are on this podcast, you can, you can have an opportunity to see them live and learn more about them as such. So again, thank you everybody who was involved with last night's poetry event and I'm looking forward for the next one already alright let's move on to Lisa Dewey She, uh, before we get there uh, I keep seeing I don't know why I, I keep saying these same words all over again like sometimes you just catch yourself saying the same shit all over again before we get there before we get there it's like Jesus Christ well, I put it together 
But before we get with Lisa Dewey's uh, conversation, uh, we are gonna. I am gonna put on a song from her album. It is an album that came out in 2004. It's called Busk. She gave me a copy of this album before she left, and I was listening to it. And it was quite hypnotic. It, it was very melodic, and it was something that was uh, great to to listen on a nice, warm, sunny day on the weekend um, and uh, 2004 album Busk the song is called With You On My Mind and at the end of our conversation she actually performs an acoustic song here uh, on the podcast called Mellow Day which is also from her uh, album Busk but I believe that also came out as a single at the time so I think uh, I think we should really get into uh, Lisa Dewey now I, I think I'm done. All right, I, I know. Okay, uh, so here's Lisa Dewey. Crying in the middle of the night. I woke up with you on my mind. With you on my. Wondering if we should have tried Wondering if we died Wondering if 
let's just make sure. Is, is that how far you're going to get? Um, probably. Right. Yeah, I don't like to get too close. Yeah, that's okay. Okay, wait, I can move it if you want, because if I... Okay, uh, that's yeah. fine. You could totally just block my face and just talk to the microphone. Wait, I'll, t I'll move it. <laughs> uh, Lisa Dewey, it's it's great having you here. Thank you. Just... It's great to be here. Yeah. Uh, how you been, though? I've been good. Yeah. Been you're good, yeah. Here with your girlfriend, Francesca, sitting yes. back there. Hey. Hey. And, uh, and what's the latest before we get into it? What's the latest and greatest? <laughs> um, well... Well, what would you like to know about? I mean, like what's going on? Well, first of in, all, I'm surprised you, you, or music or. <laughs> okay, I, I can ask how, how I came to, uh, to to know you and your work, because uh, so you know we're talking about the music scene in San Jose. Yeah. And they started talking about how the music was in the '90s. Uh huh. And 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 how uh, the Cactus Club was such a big thing, mm -hmm. and how it spawned a lot of musicians. Mm -hmm. They're like, do you know Lisa Dewey? I'm like, no. I was like, check her out. And I went and I saw your work. I was like, wow. And they're like, you should get her on a podcast. I'm like, there's no way she's gonna come on this podcast. Like, Who's this guy? <laughs> right? But but I'm surprised that you even responded back, which is great. This is awesome. Cool. But but let's start there. The, the you started. Would you say that you started your musical career here in San Jose? And, and yeah. can you describe what the scene was and how how it, you navigated yourself through that? Definitely. Yeah. Um, well, I. Um, I, my first gig was like my real my first real gig was in 1989 and then my second real big gig was uh, Marsugi's actually in 1990 um, and Marsugi's is now Agenda or Avery um, on the corner of um, First and, and uh, San Salvador and basically Marsugi's was like where like Romeo Void would play Nirvana came through and like all these bands would, would come through all the time and I was lucky enough to just randomly get booked there. Um, How old were you at the time? Uh, I don't even know. Like, uh, you know, 20, 21. Okay. Maybe. Uh, and um, I didn't know at the time that it was like such a huge deal to play at Marsugi's. Like, no. people told me 10 years later. They're like, I can't believe you played Marsugi's. And I was like... <laughs> What's the big deal? I was laughing. Well, well, how, how was... How did you and others viewed Mercedes at the time? Was it just another spot to play? No, it was like the, it was one of the only cool, weird spots to play in downtown San Jose. There was like, um, you know, FX, and then there was uh, Marsugi's, there was, um, there was Cactus Club, and then um, really Ajax above, above Strit, where Stritch is right now. Ajax had done like some, I had done a few poetry things there, and then I started branching into music like a lot more later. So on. you started with poetry, and you transitioned to music. Um, for for Ajax, yeah. yeah, just because they had poetry readings, and I was like, oh, I have some poetry, I'll I'll I'll, I'll play, and then I finally asked Chris, the owner, um, if uh, if I could do music there, you know, and he's like, oh yeah, of course. So that's how I started playing at Ajax, but. But basically, no, I didn't like start as a poet, really. I started as a musician, and now I I did write a book and put it out and everything, but it's a book of poetry. But like, I consider myself more of a musician than a poet, but, you know, probably a little of both. Mm. <laughs> um, anyway, the scene downtown was like really fun in 1990, 91, 92, 93. It was crazy. Like, we would go out to clubs and go see shows and then walk over to Alexander's, like, um, which is now um, the Taqueria, 
it's now La Victoria Taqueria. Oh. But it used to be Alexander's and like they would stay open till four in the morning. What kind of food was that? It was uh, Middle Eastern food. Okay. But we would go there. I thought it was the Alexander's Steakhouse. I was like, is that how no, they started? No, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> no, we would go there and like have hummus and dip and like whatever at, at like two in the morning when the clubs closed. Yeah. So we would like, there'd be like a group of people walking from downtown first street to over to third yeah. in San Carlos. And then we would just be beat tired and finally go home. But <laughs> it was really fun. It was a great time. And then things changed in downtown San Jose, but things are getting a lot better again. So it's cool. What changed? Um... Well, clubs uh, closed down. You know, a lot of clubs closed down. There were sound ordinances that there was like buildings coming up with like residential buildings coming up everywhere. And the cops um, and local government basically shut down a bunch of clubs. And that's like how we lost our scene. But we we have it back now. It's mm. just, you know. There is a, a stronger sense of a nightlife now in downtown, I've noticed. Yeah. Since I started hanging out about like four years ago. Uh, just the other day, I just did a small gig up for Scotty at the cafe mm-hmm. on for, on the sofa district. And I was walking out, and before it was like full of life. That like was at eleven p.m. Yep. And stretch was popping. The, the the Ritz was happening, and all these other great venues. Like wow, I, I I didn't notice this not even three years ago. Yeah, it's been slowly on the rise since like two thousand seven. I I would say mm-hmm. there has been like a slow momentum happening. And there's, you know, there's a few key people downtown that have, like, helped everything, like, kind of, like, go along. Mm. But um, everybody just kind of, like, gets together and, um, like, First Fridays are great, you know? And, like, um, the Sub-Zero Festival is great. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things happening downtown all the time. Um, But, yeah, it's definitely getting better. Um, How long have you been in San Jose? Only four years or... Well, it's it's weird uh, for me because I lived here all my life. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, uh, my hometown's really Mopitas, but you know we're, okay. all, we're all together really. But I never really got involved with the San Jose, specifically the San Jose downtown scene, yeah. until I went to San Jose State University, mm-hmm. and I got through with comedy. I'm, I'm a stand-up, oh, okay. so it was through comedy that I met musicians, and, and then before you know it, I started playing music and all that stuff. Uh, but I I, I want to say I was actively part of. Uh, of that, I wouldn't say scene necessarily, but that area, uh, like three, three to four years ago. Okay. Um, and uh, cool. But but you were there since the eighties and nineties. Now now what was? <laughs> I sound so old. <laughs> that's not that too long ago, is it? No. Yeah. Uh, but you start. Oh. You start. You, so you're playing music. Was it mostly? Uh, what kind of music were you playing at the time? Um. So I mean, okay. So I started like. I started out kind of playing like covers like when I was in high school of bands that I liked but immediately I was like this is boring and I like started writing my own weird songs with with my friends in high school what kind of bands were you covering though uh oh you two the alarm Cocteau twins um the cure you thought that was boring after a while well I mean for me I had to write my own like it wasn't boring but like I had I had this impetus to like actually do it myself and not just copy other people, you know. Right. I was like, uh, I really wanted to to do it. That's a very interesting notion because I met musicians who would only do cover bands, and for a while I was like, dude, like why, like why not do your own stuff? 
And they're like, no, I'm perfectly happy being in a cover band. It's fun. And they get a lot of gigs and all that. But like, then came to understanding that it's just two different ways. There's just two two types. Of, I want to say there's, there's many types of musicians, but there's two types of mindsets. Yeah. Necessarily. One's like, I want to do what what I want to say, what I want, my kind of music. And there's others who are just like, hey, I love music and I love this kind of music and I, I love playing that music. That's, that's, uh, there are cover songs. Yeah. Have you always had a, how did you deal with that? Well, for me, I mean, I would love to have, uh, I would love to like, I've jokingly talked to my old drummer, John Burns, about starting up, you know, a cover band of one certain band and not every band, but just one certain band, which I'm not going to name, but we both are big fans. And um, we used to like play their songs like at the beginning of practice before the rest of our band members would get get to the studio uh and we'd be like we should start a cover band <laughs> you know we'd kill it yeah. um but then we we're just like but we need to we need to like focus our time and prioritize our time and that just meant really working on our own stuff you mm. know so eh, i mean maybe when i'm 60 or 70 if if, if john calls me up and says let's do it let's go on a tour <laughs> like then I will. How come we don't want to disclose the the band that you love to cover? Uh, <laughs> well, I can tell you, but it's mostly because the band name. I don't want to say like the name of the cover band that I was gonna like uh-huh. coin right. because someone else will steal it in two seconds and start the band because it's right. fucking. I'm, it's freaking awesome. I All just right. totally swore. Okay, that's okay. You, um, can, you can fucking swear on here. Okay, it's it's great, but the the band is U two, but we were only going to do the first four albums of U two like songs. <laughs> right, right. But the name of the cover band was you don't have to say awesome. I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna say. I might do this yeah. when I'm sixty or seventy. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, hopefully by then it won't be U two late. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I can't believe I did that. But uh, <laughs> uh, oh so U two is a big influence on you, huh? Um, well, yeah. Um, did you see them perform recently? They were just down I the street from here. did. Yeah, I did. Um, do, yeah. Do they still have it? They still have it. Yeah, they do. <laughs> the venue was horrible. Are we at Levi's? Oh, God. It was the worst. And we're never going there again. I and think, I'm I, sorry, podcast people. <laughs> that's okay. I, I think the problem with Levi's is it's, it's just too immaculate. It's just too clean. It's There's no personality to it. Or is it the opposite? Was that your opposite? <laughs> no, it was clean, but the, they had weird rules. Like you couldn't take water like in a bottle down onto the the uh, main floor. They had cups. They were like pouring water in, and you don't want to be on a, with a cup like in general admission, like right. trying to like drink your water and like stuff is like flying in it or whatever. It's just weird. Too many rules. You're and right. there were um, big lines to get drinks, and then once we got in the line, you know, they told us that. Um, once we got to the front of the line, they told us that uh, they were out of water. Oh, and, no. And we had walked from In the, Trump's America. I believe that could happen. Out we had of walked water. from the Uber lot like six or seven city blocks. And then like it felt like uh, 10 New York city blocks, actually, because it was warm. So we were both parched. And then it we get like up you, there. You couldn't even enjoy the show because you're busy searching for water. <laughs> Is that what happened? We were, we stood in a second line for 45 minutes to get water and food. And um, then we went down, down and saw the show. But let mm. me tell you, it was really weird. But U2 still has it. They still have it. I, I was, I mean, I was influenced by them um, early on, you know, um, late 70s early 80s right and then i discovered cocteau twins and then 
um, you know, after I discovered Cocteau Twins, it was kind of like U2 and Cocteau Twins, Cocteau Twins and U2, um, who are like completely different bands. But if you kind of do a weird melding together, you just have rock, rock and, and ethereal floaty pop, like melodic, melodic lines, you know? So mm-hmm. it's just, it's all just like basically songs start from one thing, you know, they start from a certain like core and you can you can have a band play like only keyboards and it's going to sound way different than if they play only like heavy heavy like guitars and heavy bass and so pretty much i mean i could play a cocteau twin song with my acoustic guitar and it still sounds like a cocteau twin song so you, you know what i mean yeah, i'm trying I know. to explain it, it that, but it's just no, like i see i see what you're saying is like a, a there's a distinct sound to to yeah. a band or to a musician in yeah. some ways, that's what you want want to have. So when, when someone gets into you know a Lisa Dewey album, it's like I know what I'm in for, and I know that kind of sound. Mm-hmm. But however, do you feel that in some ways limits the evolution of, of a musician? Um, interesting question. Um, yes and no. I feel like it it limits musicians if they let it. Um, and I'm you know. I'm like just embarking on working on an electronic music project with my old uh, guitar player and bass player, um, Mike Mitchell and Sheldon Ferguson. And Sheldon's doing all this drum programming and all these weird keyboard things. And he's like, I want you to sing on it and we'll have, you know, we'll, we'll put out an album. And I was like, okay. The songs he was sending me are like totally insanely amazing. And I'm like, whoa, it's like 1982 all over again it's really cool stuff so I feel like if I were to say oh yeah no I don't do that I'm just doing my thing or I'm doing this or I'm doing that then yeah it would be limiting Mm. but um but I'm open to working on different projects and I'm always open to expanding and branching out and doing things that make me feel super uncomfortable vocally so like um yeah just like working on the Bethany Curve album that's coming out in about a year um you know i'm singing on their album and like at first i was like oh i feel weird you know because richard's the singer or whatever but he really wanted me to sing and then i i realized it fit like my voice fit their whole sound like so well that i was just like ah screw it i'm okay now <laughs> you know right, like right, right so i feel like some musicians can limit themselves and basically end up not not growing and moving forward right like even with my my songs that start out as a folk song or however i write you know even those songs like i could turn them into orchestrate orchestrated pieces you know with a 15 piece orchestra if i wanted to but i just choose to do my rock band thing um but that doesn't mean i won't branch out and do something really weird soon because we're working on our fifth album and it's already um it's already like totally bizarre. Like I was thinking of like, um, naming community or something, because Mm. I feel like it's a bunch of different mindsets and different people coming in and working on each separate song as a separate entity. So it's not like 10 or 12 songs and you go into the studio and you record them all, all at once. Each song we're treating differently, like as its own thing. And it, it's just, it's turning out to be like a couple songs sound, sound uh, like they're in the same genre and a couple songs don't, 
So what do you do? Do you throw them on the same album or do you just do two different albums or, and I'm just like, um, I'll throw them on the same album. Like, (laughs) who cares? Right. (laughs) But, um, I don't know. Uh, well, how do you deal with collaboration when it comes to music? I, I, I always feel that's like, uh, uh, Tr- uh, waters what's the word I'm trying to say because you're not sure um, unless you, you build a repertoire with a musician but when you're collaborating with somebody you don't know but you love their sound do you feel like uh, how would you, how do you approach that like Bethany Curve and Santa Cruz they're on my label and um, like we are collaborating on the album because I wrote the backup vocal lines for it you know so like with that it's actually easy it's actually a total piece of cake because the music is amazing and beautiful and moving and like it just came out like all the collaborative stuff just kind of like came out like (laughs) it's hard to explain that that's been really easy and then there's been other um, collaborations that I've done where people sent me songs and said hey can you sing on on this song and I I was unable to ever actually finish that song because I wasn't inspired mm. by it, you know? Like, and I always say, you know, if people want to collaborate with me, I always say, well, let me sit with it for a while. Let me listen to it in the car. Let me, like, you know, see if I can come up with something. And if I can't, I can't. Yeah. But if I can, I can. You right. know, it's it's kind of like I can't be too hard on myself if something's not... Um, hitting me yeah. in the right spot. That really resonates with me because I, I also screenwrite and I got plenty of people going like, cool. hey, I got this idea. Can you help me screenwrite it? And sometimes I'm at a point where it's like, I can't. And it's like, it's not, and I, I would be hard on myself. So like, does this mean I'm a bad writer? Am I not imagining it? It's just the, the source material is not inspiring enough for me to even, uh, lack of a better word, give a shit about it to, to really sit down and write it. But there's other times where like, yeah, I love yeah. that idea. I, and it's easy. It flows out easily. Yeah. It's similar, yeah. But and it's just like, you know, if it's kind of hard because, you know, they tell you, like, you got to treat uh, your creative stuff like work, even if you don't like the work. So mm-hmm. how do you deal with that? Yeah, okay, so there's that whole thing of, like, well, how do you write? And, how, you know, people always ask you, uh, ask me, how do you how do you write songs? And Can I ask you that? Yeah. Lisa, how do you write songs? <laughs> um... There's different ways, like a lot of times songs come out, um, for me, most probably 80% of my songs uh, in general were written in the bathtub or in the shower. Interesting. So there's like water involved. (laughs) Right. And I come, like ideas will just come to me in those elements for some reason, in that element. And then I like jump out and like, throw on the um, the recorder and I'm like ah, trying to get ideas down you know my right. ideas trying to get everything down and that's that's how I mostly write like if and then other times like I'll just be super pissed off about something and um, I'll grab my guitar and just start playing and you know then maybe even something nice will come out <laughs> like who knows that's, that's, you know it's a funny <laughs> thing you say that no no it really is for me because I feel like the, some of the best songs that I, I personally I feel like I've written was in a state of anger, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and sometimes I, I I add that that anger to my performance, and like sometimes like you know uh, I'll t- a friend will be like oh you did great I'm like it wasn't great he's like why not because I wasn't angry enough on stage, 
So <laughs> but I thought that was a weird thing that it was me, but I'm, I'm glad to know that's not just me, that you also had to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Where do you feel that anger spawns from? Life in general, um, I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess I do know pretty much just like things in everyday life that are just infuriating and um, that just kind of get get you and you try to ignore them and you try to like kind of push them aside and oh it's a, it's okay or uh, and um is it people related is it people usually that angers you or is it more like situations it's mostly people related yeah. it's yeah it's mostly people related like how people treat other people and um i'm not even talking about directly to me you know i'm talking about in general too like one of my songs is about um it came to me in in a parking lot. I was like sitting outside um, Caro's uh, in Saratoga. I think it was Caro's. And this guy was like beating up on his girlfriend and like yelling at her and um, just verbally abusing her a lot and kind of like pushing her around. Mm-hmm. And this song just came to me and I like hummed it into a recorder after, after you know, interjecting a little bit. <laughs> like... I didn't want to get killed. Right. Um, but like, it made me so sad what yeah. I was what I was looking at and watching. It made me so sad that this song just like went, it just like kind of dumped out of me, and I like recorded, and um, I was like writing down stuff in the car, and um, I went home that night and I, I basically wrote the song, and uh, so it just depends on really what's happening. Like, I get inspired by, like, a lot of different things. Yeah. You know? Well, like, that's that's a concept I, I, I tell people, too. It's like, you need a bit of conflict for inspiration. I think in some ways, conflict is what drives story. Conflict is what drives a, a lot mm-hmm. of creative endeavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I, I get a little, uh, you know, like, when people say, like, oh, I'm perfectly happy with my life and I do art. I'm like, yeah, but then the art means nothing. You need to have something. Some you need to be angry over some shit or say so. Why are you looking at Francesca? Because she's an artist. Did you agree with that, Francesca? What do you think? Does not compute. <laughs> Does not compute. <laughs> this is her robot voice. <laughs> That's right. um, Before yeah. we started the podcast, Francesca mentioned I don't want to talk or you know. <laughs> Does like, not I, compute. <laughs> I, I don't know where this conversation is going to go, and it went there, Francesca. No, but, but do, do you feel like there, there's some emotional conflict that that's involved when you start painting? Definitely. Oh, absolutely. For me, yeah. it's it's art, art therapy is a huge part of it. There, yeah. That's basically it. I I really don't care if I show the work or sell the work, but I'm compelled to do it. That's mm-hmm. my little shtick. Which I feel mm-hmm. is like a common thread with music, right? Would you agree with mm-hmm. that? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's like, I don't know if this music is going to be a hit or not, but yeah. I don't know if people are even going to like this song. Like Cocteau Twins used to say back in the 80s, they used to say that they did music for themselves, not anybody else. And it happened to be that they got lucky enough to get signed and actually looking back on the whole thing, 4AD kind of like screwed them out of a lot Hmm. and just reissued a bunch of their albums without their permission. So, um, you know, looking back on it, even they like, yeah, they got lucky and got signed immediately when they first started. Um, but the whole thing is like, it didn't really matter to them. Like 
they wanted to do music just for themselves. It was like a totally selfish act. And it just turned out that everybody like really liked what they were doing. Mm -hmm. um, but I always liked that line from them because it made me feel like no matter what happens, monetarily which doesn't really show your success as a person or a musician or as an artist um you know in my opinion um like you you do what you want to do because it's like something you have to do it's like a passion and and you really hope it's for you and not anyone else and and not everyone else and if people really like what you're doing then that's freaking great you know that's awesome but really, it's it's like for me and the band, it's like for us to get together as people and like work off each other and like feel that feeling that you have when you're playing, you know? I mean, there's really, there aren't a lot of things like it, you mm -hmm. know? Like when we play a show, I'm like high for like three days, you know? It's like maybe even longer sometimes. It, you're just riding on this like crazy wave, you know? So, I mean, it's mostly for, for us, but if people really like it, then that's great too. <laughs> <laughs> Can I you, sound horrible. That's anyway. okay. Can you weigh in on why you started your own record label? Yeah. A a and what was going on at the time when you started your record label? Yeah. Okay. So I'm a fan of Lisa Germano and she was on 4AD and I wrote her back in the day when she had like her second album out and she wrote right back in the same handwriting as me which was really freaky mm. it said Lisa Dewey on the thing and I was like I wrote myself a letter and I opened it up and I was like oh my god her writing is my little boy writing it's totally crazy yeah well she said you know I had said oh should I try to get signed on 4AD and and she was like hell no you're doing the right thing because I told her um you know I started a small label in downtown San Jose which is called uh, a kitchen whore kitchen whore why yeah. that name? That's an interesting name. Kitchen or Records. Yeah. Um, because, well, I was working in a kitchen. Uh, I worked at Bread of Life um, before it was Whole Foods. So Whole the, Foods Campbell. On, oh, on Campbell. Okay. Yeah, it used to be Bread of Life, a health food store back in the day. And um, I worked there in the kitchen and we worked really early in the morning. And like the women would get into the kitchen in the morning and we would like call each other kitchen whores. <laughs> And yeah, as a term of endearment, I hope. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's kind of how it all kind of that name yeah. started for me. And um, yeah. Getting, what, and what year was it that you started the label? Um, well, you know, I, I changed the name to Kitchen Whore in 1997 and bona fide, you know, like took it to San Jose uh, City and like did the whole name thing and blah, blah, blah. And like. But before that, I had a couple different record label names, Whitewashed Records and Stellar Records. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was like, no, Kitchen Whore won. So Kitchen Whore took over in 97, but I started doing my own label stuff in 94. Mm. So my first album says Stellar Productions on it. Right. So so you got this message, this letter. Uh, oh, yeah, much, I got the message from, much from Lisa. And yeah. she was like, <laughs> she was like, you're doing it fine. Just keep going. She's like, it's. She basically said it's like not all it's cracked up to be to be on a label. Mm -hmm. And then I found out, you know, after her fourth album was out, she was working at a bookstore in Santa Monica. So I guess it isn't all it's cracked up to be to be on a major label, you know. Uh, so, you know, people always think, oh, you know, like Smash Mouth is a great, great example because they're from San Jose. Oh, they got advances. They they put out these albums. They did all this. And then, I mean, 
I know a couple of them and they struggled, you know, for years to pay back the label for their, for all the expenses. And they were away from their families and just, it's tough. It's not easy, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, there's always kind of like six of one, half a dozen of the other, like, what should you do? Should you sign, sign with a major label or should you just like stick to your own thing and do a grassroots thing and actually enjoy your life possibly a little bit more. I don't know. I think I enjoyed my life a lot. <laughs> now, how do you feel being the other side where there's a musician and then there's the label? How, how, how does it feel, you know, being in a position of authority almost? Um, well, I put out uh, like eight or nine different bands on my label and I'm putting out a couple more soon. Um, so I've never really felt like I was in a position of authority, actually, strangely enough. Um, I've always felt like community, community driven and community based, like, um, sort of like I did this grassroots thing with my first album and I got like CMJ top 200, you know, airplay from just calling people with my cassette tape, calling people all over the U S and saying, Hey, did you listen to my stuff yet? You know? So then a few of my musician friends that I played local shows with were like, hey, will you put out my album? And I was like, yeah. So like we recorded it and put it out. And then I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like they're touring now and like we toured together, some of us. And it just became like a community project, not like I had any authority really. Like Mm -hmm. all I had the authority over was saying yes or no, you can put out an album on my label, you know? Okay. But um, but most of my friends that were doing music with me at the time, I would have gladly put out their music. Yeah. If I had the money to do it. So you you didn't really have an input when it came to the aesthetic of an album. I um I let all bands on my album do their own um, sleeves. Mm-hmm. I let them. I mean, we'll we'll do the sleeve if they want that from us, and design work if they want. But I let all bands do musically what they want completely. And I've produced like 15 albums um, and I make sure that I allow the musicians to like actually put down on tape what their feeling is like about the songs. And and if they say, oh, I want trombone, they get trombone. You know, we brought tr- a trombone player in. Are those so, hard to find around here? Um, no, there's no. a whole bunch of jazz cats around. Right. You know, there's right. a lot of people. So... Um, you know, whatever the musician wants, whatever the band wants, that's kind of how I cultivated my label. And they would be like, oh, here's the artwork for, you know, give me the barcode and all the information for Kitchen Horror and I'll do the artwork. And they'd be like, here it is, like two days later. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Um, you never had to like uh, draw the line anywhere? I never drew the line. And, and there's a reason because so many of my friends are on major labels and they just they just got smeared they just got killed by by the labels you know yeah. oh let's make it a little bit more uh ex- you know accessible to the general public or top 40 or let's make it a little bit more Britney Spears or Ugh. you know and yeah. those people actually ended up getting shelved from Geffen Records and yeah, like again yeah. it goes to that concept of you have to build your own sound you need to distinguish yourself from mm-hmm. the others and it's hard to do that when the label's telling you, no, do not distinguish yourself. Sound like this person who who's, has a history of success. But that's the thing. It's like, oh, this person sounds like this person. Why should I give a shit, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's tough. I mean, it's it's a tough industry. But, um, 
you have to stick to your guns and you have to allow people to, to like have their own voice really um, otherwise there's no point in doing it in my opinion you know mm. you have to like let people do what they want to do and I've always really loved all the releases from from the label like true and true you mm. know because they are just what the bands wanted you know right and that's right. super important to me it's not like Geffen Records or IRS or Warner Brothers and they're like oh well we need you we need, you just finished your album but we're, we put it on the shelf uh, because we want you to redo this or redo that and redo this and redo that and we're gonna give you another contract uh, for one album instead of three and there's all these crazy things that happen out there and we avoided that <laughs> thank you yeah. you know who are you thinking I'm thinking the world I'm thinking the universe Hey, you, uh, that, I'm insane. You still, you still <laughs> forgot to soul. mention that. No, I get it. You still have your soul. That's good. Oh my god. Now, how do you approach building an album? Like, do you feel there's a certain uh, way of direction that that you think you're consciously, or do you feel it's more like put these things together? And you, you talked about it a bit earlier, but like, uh, like for example, I had a friend who put out an EP recently, and I, I felt like he it wasn't much direction because the beginning songs sounded too different from the all, the other songs. And it just, for me, it didn't mesh very well. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, well, you know, is this a conscious decision or is this like, or is he work? Oh, they just put it as much as we can. Do you ever worry about that? Like the aesthetics and about how, how the certain songs are at certain points, some more upbeat, some more downbeat, or, is yeah. it, or, or am I just to be thinking about no, it too much? No, that that's definitely something that uh, we think about. It's, uh, we put together the albums by like first of all the the single is going to be like the first or third song every album like that's just how how it goes but then you build around the single like mm. you do like the single is maybe more upbeat um maybe more radio accessible and then the second song on the album is usually kind of like more mellow and you know kind of like okay, that was that cool song that's on the radio right now. Now we're going to show you something else that we do, but it's not going to be too different from that, but it's going to be definitely, you know, a mm -hmm. different experience. And then maybe the third song is like a little more upbeat. And then the fourth song is a little more downbeat. And then, I mean, that's how I build. Um, and like I said earlier, you know, we have a couple songs that are like way different than the other songs. And we may just split them up and just put them on separate albums. I don't know. I mean... You know, we're working on the fifth album right now, and if I all of a sudden just start writing a bunch of electronic music, then I might just put out the fifth album as an electronic music album, you know? It just depends on what's happening at that time and, like, what's inspiring you and who you're working with and a whole bunch of things. But like your, like your friend, maybe, I don't know, it sounds like maybe the person um, should have uh, put out two separate singles or something. Yeah. Yeah. That or se separate EPs so that you'd have like one experience and then another experience, but right. still it's a musician that's good, you know, like yeah. something that you like, but two two separate ideas or things happening. Um, it just depends, really. But we try to kind of like go like this with our albums so that it's a flow and it's not just like all the fast songs, you know, for the first five and then all the songs that are gonna like everyone's like mantra, like. Oh. <laughs> Oh God. Wait, is this, you know, um, right. we try to like, kind of like, 
do the the mantra like ethereal floaty pop like and then wake people up a little bit here and there so they don't actually fall asleep while they're listening <laughs> well i feel i feel like you know because I, I go back to my my favorite albums and i'm like it's almost like story building it's, it's yeah. almost like you, you, you exactly you're starting with this then with that and you're dealing with different characters and different themes for each song and that come at certain pl- places in the album so I don't know, but sometimes like maybe I would you got it, yeah. Maybe that's I, maybe, exactly it. But I'm glad that you know I'm getting validation from you because like maybe I'm just crazy. Like maybe I, I don't know the fuck I'm talking about. What, what, no, you get Francesca. No, you do. I was just wondering what her reaction would <laughs> what, be to what you said, but I believe. What do you think, Francesca? I think crazy people are the best. Crazy people. Crazy people are the bomb. <laughs> Woohoo! Then I guess I'm the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, I think you got three bombs here. I love it. We're all ready to explode. I know. Um, so, uh, so how I like I- the storytelling thing. That's exactly what it is. From start to finish, it's a story. Mm. That's good. But h- how much of that do you think should a a label should be involved in that uh, storytelling, or do you feel? Because again, like there's a variety of musicians that all come from different backgrounds and different beliefs and stuff like that. And some musicians are like, no, this is what I want. This is what I need. Yeah, and, and I figure it, most most of the time it's yeah. like that. It's uh with Kitchen Whore at least, um there was no uh, suggesting otherwise. Like oh, I suggest you put it in this order. Yeah. Well, I remember Kelsey Arnold is on the label, and I and she's a an amazing folk artist. Um, she uh she was like I want it in this order, and I was like, mm, I think it should be in this order, and she was like, well, I want it in this order, and I was like, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, like I didn't want her to put out the album and go, yeah. I wish I had kept my order. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. That's the worst. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wouldn't be sleeping at night. So like for me it's an album is like or a CD or whatever it is, vinyl. Mm-hmm. It's someone's masterpiece. It's like something that came from their heart and it has to be an agreement, you know? Right. right. So I was just like, Okay, you won. Um, and same with Mark Moreland from Wall of Voodoo. I put out his album in, and he was like, this is the order of the songs. Okay. Did, <laughs> okay, Mark. <laughs> did, did you ever find yourself in that position? Where you're like, ah, I don't know. Like, this is what I need, what I want, but maybe there's something missing. Well, for my stuff, or our stuff, um, I have, like, put things in order and then asked my band members, like, hey, what do you guys think of this order? And they're like, looks good to me and then Keith will be like oh switch this with this and oh okay so I switch it and send out the email again and everybody looks at it and says oh that that's great uh-huh. you know or that'll work or what we do is we'll mix the album and master it and then like listen to it and listen to it and listen to it before it comes out and if something feels wrong we'll remaster it you know mm-hmm. but usually it's like we know what's up mm-hmm. at the mixing point we know kind of what order we want things in you know, it just kind of happens. Like, uh, you, you've been on tour. Yeah. Right. All over the country. Yeah. How and, was that experience like for you? Um, really fun and cool. I mean, it's so fun to like go to a new city and like hang out with your friends who live there or fans that live there that'll like host you, you know, um, like hang out with your friends and they'll take you to like you know their favorite place for lunch or whatever you go to a sound check and then the, then you go to like like a cool weird place that they love to eat dinner at or whatever then you go back uh, to the venue play the show or or sometimes you know you play the show first and then you go kill the diners 
in the middle of the night after the show. So you fully embraced the road. Yeah, I yeah, yeah I did. It was really fun. I know it some was musicians sleeping, sleeping bag situation. Oh really? Because there's yeah. some musicians who are like hate the road. They're like oh, I just you know they they rather play in select venues and select cities, and they and they, and they kind of don't like you know uh, being on the road because they say it gets boring and this and that. But there's the opposite. People are like oh it's amazing, it's fun, it's, yeah. it's so much things are going on. It was never boring um, to us. I don't think it was like fun little road trips with music. I mean, it sounds like a great time to me, you know, <laughs> but, um, but towards, right. you know, towards the end of my, I guess, thirties, you know, towards, towards my mid thirties, I was like, okay, I'm hoteling it. I'm getting a hotel room. Mm. You guys want to share the hotel room with me? You're welcome to pitch in, <laughs> but I'm getting a hotel room. Um, I stopped couch surfing, uh, on tour, like probably in my 30s because it just got tough for my body mm. you know so I mean it's it bad sounds, for your it, spine right all those couches yeah yeah exactly I mean it sounds really weird but like there is there is an a great thing about comfort you know like if you're driving for 12 hours the next day you really want to get a good night's sleep in a hotel or at least in a host's like really nice separate guest bedroom or something you don't want to be on their couch and they're up all night you know and that's how it used to be way back, you know, in the day. How's it now? Uh, now I now I stay at hotels if yeah. if I'm playing out of town. So, I yeah no, I'm, and I'm very and I'm very select too. So like about venues and yeah. and things that I do. Got any hotel stories? Do you trash a hotel or anything like that? Are you looking at me like maybe? <laughs> no, the, uh, the rock and roll lifestyle on the road. There is one hotel that will always stick in my mind, and it was um, outside of Sacramento, or it was in Sacramento, and I call it the Janky Hotel because mm -hmm. it was the most janky hotel I've ever stayed at. And I remember we pulled up and we got like double, and it was disgusting number one we like pulled everything away from the bed and we were like freezing cold sleeping in our clothes because it was like so gross it was scary mm -hmm. and there was a water leak in the in the shower it was like clunk the drop clunk 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 all night long and um we called the the front desk and we were like can you move us to another room and they're like there is no other room and we were like, Janky Hotel. Wow. <laughs> we were so pissed. That's a great album title. Janky yeah. Hotel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've I've thought about using that before. I put it on a sticky note on the wall before. <laughs> Janky Hotel, yeah. It's a good uh, one. Anyway. Um yeah. yeah, just ridiculous. That was pretty bad. But there's been other situations where like my book my booking agent would be like, Oh, I got you this gig and you're, it's only you playing for 20 minutes and they're comping you dinner and you have a green room and the hotel's being paid for and I was like yes you know like this is what I'm talking about <laughs> anyway it's what, it's what you signed up for right yeah <laughs> yeah uh, I've noticed when I was looking at yourself that you collaborated w with uh, uh, not Mickey Steele Michael Steele right is that Michael Steele from the Bengals yeah yeah uh, can you talk about collaborating with her and like how that came about? Yeah, so um, Sheldon, my old guitar player, the easiest way to explain it is my old guitar player um, and her were, were close friends and she would come down from uh, NorCal and stay uh, in his house and we were having rehearsals and recording actually at his house at the time 
And um, so when I first met her, I was just like, hey, how's it going? You know, whatever. And went into another room, completely shut the door and had rehearsal. And after rehearsal, she was like, your music is bitching. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. And Were you starstruck? Um, not really starstruck. She kind of seemed like a, um, very down to earth and right. easy to talk to and totally chill, you know? And I felt like we were buddies like right away. Like we were, it just meshed, you know? Like, um, but I was like super stoked to meet her. I mean, I saw the Bengals in 1984 at the Warfield and um, Prince came out and Sheila E came out um, on stage. It was just an amazing night, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I was always a fan of the Bengals and then um, I met her and I was like, wow, she's a really cool person. She's really just, she has a great sense of humor and she's really smart. And um, so she seemed like down to earth to me, like not like a star. You know, so um, yeah, and then then she started writing bass lines for the album for Weather Changer Girl, and um, and then we recorded her. Um, her bass lines are amazing, and then our bass player actually took those bass lines and played them live. So, mm. like he was like, I like hers better. <laughs> so, so it ended up that we kind of adopted some of the lines that, you know, that she actually wrote. And some of them are the best lines I've ever heard. I mean, they're so cool. Like for, um, I want to be your, uh, your matador, your bullfighter, uh, on Weather Changer Girl. It's like the third song. She did this really cool, like step down bass line at the end. That's just like amazing. It's like, and it goes down, 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 down. And it's just, Ah, uh, mm. it you know like nothing even comes close. I I just love it, but okay. Um, and then um, when Busk came around, like we we hung out. She moved into my house at a point, um, and lived there for like a couple years off and on. In San Jose. Yeah, and then um, we just kept playing music together here and there. Um, like when she'd come into town, and stay for a while, like I would record her in my studio, which is at my house. So. Um, I would record her bass lines, and um, she ended up on uh, Busk, too. Um, yeah, I mean, we just, we still, I mean, we're still really close friends, so. There will there'll be more stuff coming from her. Awesome. Uh, yeah, coming. Like, do you ever, like, for me, I, I get this from my friends locally, where I'm like, where does this come from? Like, like you mentioned, like, her coming with that bass line. You're like, how, where, where, where does this come from? Like, what is it in, in their head that's, like, such awesome stuff comes out I mean <laughs> your yeah. guess is as good as mine like the the one bass line it's like um it's like it's like I never would have thought of that you know but she plays it up really high on the neck and then low on the neck and it's just like ah, it's so good it just hits your heart and it's the same like Cocteau Twins have a song called um called Primitive Heart and I remember like when I first met Simon because um, from working with him when I first met him I was like Primitive Heart bass line so amazing and he's like what? He didn't even know what I was talking about and I hummed it to him and he was like oh yeah that was a good one you know I don't know it, I think that people just write and do like like channeling I think ch sometimes I think people just get channeled 
Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, with me, sometimes my songs feel like they're not even me writing them. They're just, they're just something. Something takes over, and it's oh wow, I wrote that. Like it's kind of weird. You're the first musician to tell me that on this podcast because I hear that a lot, but from artists. A lot. Uh, I'm looking at Francesca. A lot of artists I talk to on this podcast, mm-hmm. they say that it's not even me doing the art. It comes from somewhere else that they don't even know where it comes from. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they say they have an emotional investment, sure, but it's, they say a lot of them say that it's almost supernatural. At, at, at what? Yeah, I feel I feel that pretty deeply. Like that. Where did that? You yeah. Know, the pen just fell. Woo! Just fell off. Uh, yeah. And, and, and you're the first musician to tell me that, so it's it's very interesting. That's cool. You've been hanging out with Francesca too much. <laughs> That's what's happening. No. The buzzword is flow. Are flow. you in the flow or are you not in the flow? Uh, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's the collective unconscious. We're all dipping into the same pool. Mm. I think. That's true. I, it's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, Although I worry about, like, what's my role in this crowd, in, in this whole collective thing? Like, well, what do I. Am I, am, I, am I good gear here or am I a bad gear? I don't know. But that's just me being insecure about my shit. But. Uh, uh, but anyway, moving on. Try to, before it gets try more to push awkward. those thoughts away. <laughs> when I looked you up online, one of the first things that popped up is that you have actress credits. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> what film projects were you involved? Um, one's called Some Prefer Cake. Uh, yeah, Some Prefer Cake, up, and it was filmed in San Francisco. And then the other one was Berta, which was really fun to do. Um n- and then the other one was, um, and then came Lola. Okay, so they're all feature films, but um, but one was in 1995 uh, or six, and then then I had like a 10 year hiatus, and then all of a sudden I did Berta, and then I did, um, and then came Lola. So really, it was just fun. I mean, I was like in San Francisco, um, hanging out at the park over near near the Hate, like. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just hanging out at the park literally by myself, like totally funny, but I was like hanging out there because I was killing time waiting for a friend to meet me and, um, she was running late. So, and we didn't have cell phones back in that time. Um, so I was just like, okay, I guess I'm just going to sit here. And there was a casting, a casting happening, um, for, um, for the first movie, uh, some prefer cake. And the lead actress was like, who's that? he's that girl over there like and the you know the producer came walking over and said who are you <laughs> and i said who my are... name's lisa dewey i'm a musician why and she's who like who are you well the lead the lead character of our film like thought you were cool looking and wanted you you to maybe like be in the film and i was like <laughs> what who's the lead actress she um, must have a lot of power you know her, her name was Catherine and she's still she's still like doing stuff in in LA but um but pretty much like she just told the producers like oh she's cool looking like let's utilize her and they're like do you have a motorcycle and I was like yeah I have a motorcycle with a sidecar and they're like oh like they totally went nuts how convenient and um the sidecar and the bike ended up in the in the movie too and so that was like really fun and they're like can you come back in two weeks and film and I was like yeah that's how I got in the first film. It what was role? ridiculous. What was your role? <laughs> I was a mechanic. Uh, I was a crazy lesbian mechanic who had like a bunch of like um, sex toys in her jacket, in her motorcycle jacket. And, like, 
I was basically a, a horrible second date. That was my that was my role. A horrible second date. Yeah, with the and, bike. Yeah, and I had I had a blue jumpsuit with my name on it. Like when they first like come, mm. you know, when my date comes up, and I had like grease on on my face. <laughs> I was a mechanic. It was really funny. And and you caught the acting bug. Um, Do you think? Well. I did some acting when I was younger. Um, I was in plays and stuff when I was a kid. In high so school? I always had. No, in, in grade school. And, oh, wow. And then in high school a little bit too. So I always had the bug, you know. And um, then in um, junior junior college, I actually took um, acting one, two, three, and acting for film and television and improvisational acting. I took like six or seven acting courses. What in- junior college did you go to? Uh, West Valley. West Valley. Woo! My sister went to West Valley. Yeah. Yeah. I started out at De Anza and I hated it. And I was like, I started at De Anza. I, I, like, I was in De Anza. Well, De Anza is horrible. I hated it while being in De Anza. But once I it transferred and I like, I was like, I looked back. I was like, oh, it wasn't so bad. Well, De Anza was like, um, for me, I have learned learning disabilities. So there was like forms of 150 people and for like chemistry. And I was like sitting there going. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah, my sister also. I wasn't doing well. My sister also went to West Valley because she also has a learning disability. Yeah. She felt like that was the best place for it. Yeah, because uh, the teachers had like twenty-eight people in their classes, and they would actually talk to you after class. Yeah. It was quite an, you know, interesting <laughs> idea. Like, I was like, you know, three hundred people in a forum at Deanza. Excuse me, professor, can I talk to you after class? Not happening. No. <laughs> what were you studying? Um, well, at the, at that time, um, I was actually interested in nutrition, but I was studying acting, so I was kind of doing both. Mm. Um, Why yeah. nutrition? That's an interesting field. <clears throat> well, I was a vegetarian for many, many, many years and vegan for many years, or are a you, couple years. Are you still? No. No. And uh, so I was vegetarian for a long time, and uh, when it wasn't cool to be vegetarian, like when everyone was like, oh my God, get over it, eat some bacon, you know? Right. And now it's cool. <laughs> um, but basically, I was super interested in nutrition because I had been a gymnast and I had been like basically watching my diet my entire life and like always ate pretty, pretty well and um, just got interested in, in it from that, you know, from competition gymnastics and then um, and the need to like, you know, give myself enough protein, give myself enough of this and that and blah, blah, blah. And uh, then I just got interested in vegetarianism because it just seemed like it was the best thing for my body, mm. which it probably still is, you know. Why'd you stop? Um, well, I had surgery on my uh, tonsils uh, in like 1998. Mm-hmm. And I was so weak and so just completely like it was a very dramatic surgery that even the surgeon said he had never seen anybody's um, tonsils look so bad and he had been doing it for 30 years. Is, is that related to your vocals or is it not? No. no? Okay. It's not related to, to vocals. Like it, it, didn't, it didn't affect your singing capabilities nothing like that? No. As a matter of fact, I sang on Mark Moreland's album like 30 days later after oh, wow. my surgery. Um, but it hurt. I was, you know, taking Darvaset and... I was like, God, this is the worst. Like, I was supposed to go back to work, work um, at Schlumberger, um, like, two weeks after the surgery. And they're like, uh-uh, you stay home for another two weeks. Like, it was bad. It was, like, just tore up, you know? So, um, 
It was just intense, and I was weak, really weak. And my roommate brought me home a carne asada super taco from La Victoria. Oh my god! And I was like, you can't resist. <laughs> oh my god! And that was it. Oh. I I was like, <laughs> the oh carne asada did it for me. I was like, oh god, that was good. <laughs> oh. And um, and I was and I didn't have any stomach problems, not at all. Oh. After years and years and years of being a vegetarian, interesting. Nothing. It wow. was like it was like a wonderful experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My body was like, you have energy now. This is awesome. <laughs> That's probably it. You, you, your body broke down to the point where it rebuilt itself around that somehow. Yeah. So you know, I don't eat meat a lot, but I do once in a while. And. Right. And um, it's not part of my everyday diet. I do believe that a vegan diet and a vegetarian diet are probably the best diets um, to be on. I gotta get on that. I gotta. I don't know. I don't know how it's gonna work out for me, but I gotta. This wasn't but, here a year ago, Lisa. This was but, not here a year ago. I love it. It's just you know I'm, I'm 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 gigging more shows now, and like mm-hmm. my, I get I don't know, I don't know what your process is before a gig, but for me it's to stress eat. So I stress eat like a motherfucker. Mine is <laughs> just to stress. <laughs> you know, like the, the, the poetry event yesterday. I was like, for an entire week, I just one cheeseburger after another. It's just how I process <laughs> getting ready. Yeah, well, however you need to do it, you need to do it. But yeah, I mean, there's other ways. She, she you carried can... carrots around or something. I don't know. No, I just don't think that on. would do it. I no. I mean, if that's your process, then I ain't, <laughs> Stick I'm, not with going, it. I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it seems like you had a pretty uh, active childhood. You're, you're a gymnast. You, you were involved in quite a few things. Uh, where did you grow up in San Jose specifically? I grew up in Fremont. Um, I was oh, born in Fremont. San Leandro, but grew up in Fremont, Niles area. And um, my, I don't know, I guess my parents were just like, let's get them in sports, like me and my brother. Hmm. Uh, well, what and, was your father doing? Oh. Uh, my father worked at Hunt's Cannery in Hayward for... Um, 35 oh. or 40 years so as like a mechanic. A blue, you got a blue-collar background. Yeah, blue-collar big time. How many siblings? Uh, just just my brother um, when I was younger, and then I had a stepsister and stepbrother later. But um, but my brother, John, he's like a year and a half older than me, and uh, he picked on me a lot when I was a kid. Mm. Yeah, John, <laughs> if you're listening. Are you guys cool now? Do you feel like you, oh, yeah, we're cool. we're cool now. I... Yeah, now I can pretty much pick on him if I want, but um, yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> How about your mother? What does she do? Um, so she's retired now, but she was an accountant for many, many years, and she also worked at the city of San Jose in the planning um, and redevelopment department. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she retired, like probably like ten years ago. Um, so two working parents. They're like, let's get our children involved with activities. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, my parents were very blue collar. I mean, even my mom being an accountant, it's still, you know, she had to she had to put herself through night college like uh, when we were kids just to get that job. Hmm. So she, I mean, she worked really hard. She worked full time like my pretty much most of my life. Were they creative in their own ways? Uh, my mom is, um, well, she's she used to be uh, into sewing. Like she used to make all of our clothes when we were kids. Really. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sure it's it's scary. I don't know why I say really. <laughs> it's not but. cute. <laughs> but she draws. She's uh-huh. a really great. Um, she's really great at drawing. And um, now to kind of keep herself like busy and keep like things you know moving along, she basically gets these like really elaborate like uh, drawing books, like big huge pages with like fashion stuff. Mm-hmm. And she like 
has like a big huge round thing full of like colored pencils and colored like felt you know like this huge thing I like I see it and I go I, I want that <laughs> like I want to take it home <laughs> and she's like don't touch my pens you know um but pretty much she'll sit and she'll like just intricately draw like and color these like books and she shows me and I'm just like whoa Ooh. like the colors are really great too like she's yeah so she does have some some uh but, but she definite talent she literally knitted your clothing when you were younger yeah when we were kids we'd have like I'd have like a really insanely bizarre looking dress in like our yearly photo or something with a bonnet or whatever and my brother <laughs> yeah it was Oh, what it was it? 1970s clothes, uh, you know. Uh, uh, no, how, how are the 1970s clothes? Oh, I guess with the uh, <laughs> tight pants, right? They were the thing in the 70s, and yeah, but not like that. It was like cheesy kids, kids clothes made by your mom. Yeah. You know, it it was it was funny, but at the time I didn't know that it was super cheesy. I was just like, my mom made my dress, like yeah. super happy. Oh, you about fully it. embraced it, yeah. yeah. And then I looked back at pictures when I was in, in high school. I My mom put all the pictures out in the house, and I was like, oh, my God, what was that? What Mom, what were you doing to me? Right. How about your father? Was he creative in his own way? Um, My father mostly, like, he's the one who taught me paradiddles for drumming, like, on my drum pad when I was, like, was a, a drummer. kid. Not really, but he he did do marching band stuff like when he was a kid. Um, he's not a musician now, but he's the one who basically said, "Oh, get a drum practice pad, and you could do paradiddles, and you do this, and you do that." So like my dad, and then he bought me my first harmonica um, when I was like five or six, and uh, and a John Denver harmonica songbook, which I still have. <laughs> what kind of music was around the house that do you, do you feel that you feel influenced you? Um, Led Zeppelin, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Elvis Presley, um, like uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Mm. Um, I pretty much grew up on nineteen sixties and seventies rock. You know, it's a good a good era of music. Yeah, and then I discovered Blondie, Rapture, and uh, Heart of Glass, and then. I discovered like Kim Carnes, like I liked her. I, I like Kim Carnes. You know? I, I get shit yeah. for that. I, I get I get shit for, I'm gonna, for liking I'm Kim I'm gonna Carnes. get it. <laughs> but you know, when I was a kid and I started singing, and my mom was like, "Oh my God, she won't stop singing. She's just got the radio on constantly, KFRC." You know, right? And um, and my brother was listening to KOME, and I was listening to K KFRC, like two doors down from each other, and. And um, I was screaming at the top of my lungs every song that came on top forty, mm -hmm. and uh, like Foreigner, you know. Oh, for that's a great uh, fucking band. Super Tramp, like these songs would come on, and I'd like know every lyric and every vocalization. And my mom was like, "Oh my god, she just won't stop singing." And then I was like, "I'm gonna be a singer. I'm gonna be a singer." <laughs> when I was like super tiny, like five or six. What does your mom say now? She's like, "I saw it coming." Yeah, she's like, "Oh god, yeah, I." I see that one coming a mile away yeah lisa we passed the hour mark okay uh pretty good right yeah we, we, did, conversation. we did great that was excellent uh, that was good conversation for sure my, my ending uh question for musicians is start from the beginning of the evolution of the instruments that you owned or that you, that you played with oh okay, from, cool. from, from your first uh in your case from your first guitar to what you're playing now and, and a bit of stories of each one if there is any yeah, okay, so the harmonica was my first instrument. Um, 
my and then my parents um actually enrolled me and my brother in accordion class around the corner from where we lived and I was looking at it you know uh learning disabled did not know until I was like way older way too old um looking at all those buttons and looking at it and looking at all the little kids in the in the class you know at our friend's house and they were like do 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 like fine and I was like this <laughs> it's like know, a surreal experience ended up mom I can't do accordion <laughs> like, um, so she pulled me out of accordion class and then there was a guitar in the hallway um, my stepfather's guitar was in the hallway um, my whole beginning of my life probably from when I was six seven eight nine ten until we moved to San Jose um, and that guitar haunted me it was the only thing in the hallway uh, nobody when I touched was a kid it in Fremont. No, nobody touched it. It was in a case, and I was always like, "What's going? What uh, the um, the you know?" And no, you can't touch it. No, you can't touch it. No, you can't touch it. And um, so I waited until we moved to New Almaden. Actually, in um, and I was like eleven years old, and I finally just said, "Please let me play that guitar." And my stepfather was like, "I'll only let you play it if you agree to like." Uh, lessons guitar mm. lessons and I was like agreed like so I I started taking guitar lessons and I had a job at the time so I, that wasn't an issue what kind of guitar was it again it was a Yamaha six string a Yamaha yeah um, and uh, and then um, then I graduated to like uh, Wait, of course was it still string yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it was still string and then and then I got um, a keyboard I got a DX9 a Yamaha um, and I started playing like 99, you know, love balloons, da, da, da. you know, yeah. I started playing that and Howard Jones on the keyboard. And so I was learning my chops on the keyboard. And then I got a Strat, a 1985 Stratocaster with an amplifier, a digital delay and a chorus, just you, like the edge. That's a whole new level now. And I was like playing along to all the U2 albums. <laughs> And then I started writing my own weird, wacky songs. And Where that's did you get the Stratocaster? All... Sorry. Oh, Where I got it start? at Guitar Showcase in um, Campbell. Mm. Mm-hmm. 1985, and it was an American-made Strat. And uh, I traded it um, way later. Like 20 years later, I traded it for uh, a Jaguar, a 1963 Jag and a JC120 amplifier. Uh-huh. And I was like, oops, probably shouldn't have made that trade. <laughs> That Strat's probably worth like $6,000 now. Yeah. And my uh, Jag is worth maybe like, you know, four, but it wasn't a good trade. But at the time, I didn't know that, and I really wanted that surf guitar, like Cocteau Twinsy Jaguar sound, mm-hmm. and I got it. Got there it. you go. Yeah. You know, you have to do what you have to do. But um, Where do you go from there? Okay, yeah. Uh, from there, I went to like piano and learning piano and playing piano and studying it at school for San Jose State because I got my degree in voice but we had to play piano and um, then I kind of like branched out to drums Uh, I got my first drum kit in 1986 um, but I couldn't play it until I moved out of the house what brand was Um, it? it's still in my house it's a Ludwig and a Gretsch so it's like a mixture Mm. but um, but Budgie from from Susie and the Banshees played it and he loved it so it's it's a great kit you know and I bought it when I was in high school and I still have it we still use it all the time um, it's a really cool kit so drums was kind of like important to me but that didn't happen because my mom didn't want that you know so I was like 
busting out all the like songs on a little drum pad. Mm-hmm. I got a little pad over there, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just like that, actually, same size. So, and then um, it kind of went from there. I have like a whole bunch of weird instruments now. Like, you don't even want to know. Bass. I started playing bass, um, I don't know, 20 years ago. And then um, I branched out. I bought a bunch of electric guitars, like vintage, really cool ones. Uh, and then I have a 12, I have two 12 strings and then like three acoustic six strings. And I just, I don't know, I, I sort of started collecting guitars and amplifiers and drum machines at that point. Is there a guitar you have now that calls to you the most? That one right there. What's it's the, the Alvarez, 1980 Alvarez Yari six string. What's the story behind that one? This I got from a friend of mine who worked at Guitar Showcase. He was moving to LA and uh, he was like, oh, I need to I need to get rid of um, my two guitars. Do you want to buy? Um, do you want to buy them? And I was like, yeah. So, you know, I just, yeah, I picked up, I picked up stuff like really inexpensively um, when I was younger. Is I, Guitar I Showcase in Campbell your go-to place? Um, I still go there because Dan Aroni um, the general manager. I've known him since I bought my Strat, you know, and uh, he's a great guy, and he always like hooks me up. So, mm-hmm. and then Guitar Center, they give you like the professional musicians discount. You know, if you go in and say, "How much really are these strings?" I'm a professional musician. They go, "Okay," and then they give you like a big amount off. But <laughs> don't tell anyone. That, oh, wait, we're on oh, a podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, a couple hundred people are going to know now, which is That's good. Okay. That's okay. Because you need to prove that you're a professional musician now, right? You just, I mean, if you bring in a flyer, like if you have a show and you bring in a flyer and hand it over and say, yeah, I'm, I'm like stocking up for with strings and this and that for my next show, they'll automatically just give really? you a discount, I like gotta, 20 I, or 30%. Yes. Shit, now that I have you here, yeah. good advice from the professional now. I just got a gig, a music gig in Santa Cruz. Hour set. I've never done an hour set. It, 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 I'm scared shitless about it because I, I don't know how to approach it. What are what, What's a recommendation you would give, not just to me, but other musicians out there who are given like an hour set to perform? Okay, how much uh, material do you have to fill? 45 minutes worth or 50 minutes worth? I don't know. Do I? Should I? Well, what you can do is since you're a comic, uh-huh. which is great... Um, you can incorporate poetry or your comedy thing in between songs you can tell stories about the songs you you can be like oh so this next song is about blah 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 and then maybe tell a joke or whatever and then move on to the next song that kills like 40 seconds right there and then uh, I mean I hate to tell you these tricks because it's kind of like cheating Mm. but um, when I first started playing at Alexander's it was a three hour gig and I had like one hour worth of songs and I was like panicking and freaking out. And I was like, how can I make this? Oh, I guess I'll just play a bunch of covers. So I started playing a bunch of covers with um, like Sinead O'Connor, Indigo Girls, like any cover I could like throw in there, even yeah. Fleetwood Mac covers, because I would play like two or three of my songs and then a few covers. And then I just started telling stories in between songs. And it took up a little bit of time. And it was also something more interesting than just music 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 block of sound you know coming at people right people like i i believe people like that intimacy of like when you tell a story about how the song happened or mm-hmm. how the song was written or this song's about this or whatever i i think people like that i don't know maybe i'm wrong 
So so more talking in between sets or in between songs. Yeah, just just do that. Yeah. Just do some some like you know jokes or talking in between songs, and um, maybe repeat uh, one or two songs at the end of the set, like your favorite ones, but play them a little bit differently, like improvise. Like an encore almost. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so just take those songs and be like, whoa, this is a different rendition of the one we played earlier, but we're gonna like improvise and do something yeah. cool with it. Like I don't know. Yeah. How do you deal with like you know messing up on stage? Like you talked about it a bit earlier before we when we got, sat down. Mm-hmm. How you sometimes you know forget lyrics. It happens. It just keep happens. Going. Keep going. Just keep, keep going. <laughs> do not change your face if you can help it. Um, which uh, I'm not very good at like hiding my emotions. But yeah. but like if I'm like just playing and I hit a wrong chord, I just repeat it the next time through. I mm. repeat the wrong chord that I hit. You know, mm. and my my bass player will sometimes look at me like. <laughs> You just repeated that. <laughs> I can't believe you just repeated that. But um, yeah. but basically, like, you just keep going. Just, just keep, just ignore it and keep moving forward. Right, right. Like that's really the best way because most people are not really gonna ever notice. Right. right. You know, as long as you're like projecting and like you're you're doing good and like you're you have charisma on stage or whatever like people just don't notice like weird little things Mm. they don't do you mind if i ask what was the worst set you felt you had the worst set i felt i had oh that's a good question um it's hard to even answer i because every every single set is so different um i guess i could cite a painful show in portland um which was painful Usually, you know, you get paid when you play and uh, and um, you'll go, you're, you're on tour and you're having fun and like your crowd of people is fun. And this one show for uh, like a tour in 2006, um, I had a poet touring with me. So she would do her poetry and then I would play a set. Hardly anyone came to this cafe. The cafe staff was like really rude. And uh, there was like five or six like people there that knew us from Portland, um, our friends, and we basically just played a private show to them. But the the feeling at the time was just like, why am like while I'm playing, like why why am I doing this? Like the no one cares that we're even here. It was like the weirdest like psychological trip. Mm. And now if stuff similar, which it's never happened that bad. But if, if anything similar happens where I'm playing, um, you know, to a more intimate crowd, um, I have a whole different take. But that's because I had such a bad experience that um, at that one show that I'm like, I can never repeat that again. I, I can never um, I can never do that again. Mm. So now I just um, pretend I'm singing like in my bedroom or in my living room to like my best friend. So you shift perspective on stage. Yeah, I just go, whoosh, yeah. just pretend you're singing to like your best buddy or one of your close friends and you own everything differently than when you're like all pissed off because like, you know, only a few people came or whatever. But that that was like the worst show we've ever had. And mm. it wasn't that bad, but it was definitely ugh, grueling. It yeah. was definitely like, uh, we got, I remember we packed up and we got in the car and we were like oh my god i really hope eugene is better tomorrow night (laughs) you know it was and it was it was like packed it was like eugene was like standing room only the Mm. next night so when you have that you're like okay okay it's all good it's all good (laughs) 
All right, Lisa, thank okay. you so much for coming. Thank you for yeah. Francesca. Well, thank for you. For coming as well. Thanks for having and, me. Uh, and anything us. you want to plug in before we head out? Plug in? Yeah. Oh, um, you got an upcoming album coming out, right? Yeah, well, future. Or your records or your record label. Um, yeah, like uh, Kitchen Horror Records is um, actually putting out a couple of uh, releases. Um, one is Future Twin from San Francisco. It's a split seven inch single with Humid, and that's coming out in August. And then we're also putting out Bethany Curb's fourth album called Murder. And that's coming out um, as soon as we're done with the vocals on it. That That's my job. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as we're done with the vocals on it and finish the artwork, it'll be out. And uh, and then we're working on my fifth album, too. Our fifth album. So, uh, yeah, that's it. And if people would like to more would like to know more information about your work and, and your record label, where can they go check it out? They can check it out on kitchenhorror.com or lisadewey.com, and I'm actually revamping both sites in the next couple weeks, so there will be some new stuff to look at, which is cool. Mm. Um, but basically, kitchenhorror and uh, lisadewey.com. Yeah. Pleasure talking to you. Pleasure talking to you. Thank and, you for having me. And uh, you gonna you, you gonna lead us out with the song? Uh, sure. Sure.
sweet.